Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here, happy to uh, talk to you as I prepare for San Diego Comic-Con. That's coming up this weekend. I'm uh, just packing and uh, getting things ready. Before I leave, though, I wanted to uh, share this interview with Kieran Dwyer. Now, you know Kieran, a longtime artist, uh, both in the mainstream and creator-owned stuff. Mainstream runs on things like uh, Superman in Action Comics with uh, David Michelini back in the day. Uh, Mark Gruenwald, uh, and he did an excellent run on Captain America for two years. We talk a bit about that. Uh, and then also create her own books with uh, guys like Rick Remender, things like Triple uh, X Zombies, and a few other projects. Last of the Independents, one of my personal favorites that he did with Matt Fraction, way the hell back. And we talk a bit about that. But uh, Kieran is back to talk about West Portal. West Portal is a monthly comic book series that uh, he's got going on with his collaborator, Todd Rinker. And uh, this is the cosmic odyssey of Dexter Allen, whose journeys to fantastical fictional realms seem real because they are. Uh, as he said, it's uh, Louis meets uh, alternate universe science fiction, and there's a lot of pop culture thrown in. Um it's very funny, and Kiernan stretches from an artistic standpoint, trying a lot of different art styles, representing the different alternate universes that Dexter seems to be slipping into. And uh, it's a lot of fun. If you go to his Kickstarter campaign link, you will see the different styles of art that he is uh, doing in the book. And uh, it's, it's just fantastic. He's got just over a week left and is only a third of the way of uh, what he's looking for. So uh, happy to uh, give uh, Kiernan a hand and uh, see if uh, we can uh, drum, drum up some business for West Portal. But great conversation. Uh, he tells us what he's been doing, because he's been out of comics for a few years now. Uh, he's been doing a lot of storyboard work, funny stories about that, some other uh, projects along uh, his career that we go back and reminisce about, and uh, just a good conversation with uh, Kiernan Dwyer talking about his book, West Portal, on today's Word Balloon. It's all brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com where there are great deals going on on things like the Cordo Montes graphic novel, Beyond the Windy, Windy Isles. It's 30% off, just $20.99. You can get uh, Supreme Blue Rose trade paperback, 42% off, $8.69. The Lone Wolf and Cub Omnibus Volume 9 is 42% off, $11.59. Just the tip of the iceberg. Great savings on great books at InStockTrades.com. If your orders are $50 or more, you receive free shipping. Check it out for yourself. Word Balloon is also brought to you by the Cincy Comic Con. And Cincy Comic Con is happening on the 12th and 13th of uh, September. And it's happening in North Kentucky, just across the river from Cincinnati. And uh, that is happening at the uh, North Kentucky Convention Center, again, Saturday the 12th, Sunday the 13th of September. And uh, Tony and Kara Moore and company have a great show for you planned. You won't want to miss it. It's uh, going to feature great people like Bill Willingham, Matt Sturgis, Chris Robertson, Jeremy Bastian. Uh, the great Ming Doyle is going to be there. Uh, Adam and Comfort Love are going to be there. Dirk Manning, Ray Fox, Mike Hawthorne, uh, Rick Remender. Kyle Hotz, Ben Templesmith, Chris Sprouse, Mark Schultz, Derek Robertson, Andy Price from My Little Pony, The Goons, Eric Powell, Jeff Parker. Excellent people. Always a great uh, turnout of artists and writers. Kevin McGuire from Justice League International. Jim Mafood. Uh, just a great, great show. Cincy Comic Con. It's happening the 12th and the 13th 
at the Northern Kentucky Convention Center. This is a really intimate, fantastic show uh, featuring wonderful creators that you'll want to go and uh, spend some time with, get some original art, uh, maybe get some sketches from some of these people. Great panels as well. Word Balloon is always a big part of Cincy Comic Con. I'll be moderating a lot of the panels, and uh, it's a great opportunity for me to have uh, first interviews. I'm looking forward to hopefully talking to Cameron Stewart who's doing an excellent job on Batgirl. I love his book, Scene Tutelo. Uh, Brendan Fletcher of the new Black Canary series, and a whole lot more. Uh, for more details on uh, how to get tickets, it's uh, two two days, one low ticket price. Kids 12 and under are free with uh, one paid adult admission. That's Cincy Comic Con, uh, September 12th and 13th at the Northern Kentucky Convention Center. For more details, go to their website, cincycomiccon.com. Okay, without further ado, let's uh, pick up our conversation with Kiernan Dwyer. It was a pleasure to finally uh, meet him via Skype and uh, hear what he's got uh, going on with his brand new book, West Portal. And uh, it sounds like a great project. I, I look forward to it. It's uh, he and Todd Rinker. I, uh, I think it is worth your attention. Go to the Kickstarter and check it out. But listen to what Kiernan has to say about it right now on Word Balloon. We pick up the conversation with uh, him even telling me about uh, the last time he was at San Diego Comic-Con. Long time since I've been to San Diego. I went uh, I went for 17 years in a row um, after I started in the biz. And, uh, and then I took a year off when my son was born. And then I went one more time after uh, when he was a year old. And then that was the last time. So that would have been 2005 was the last. Uh... Oh, I just missed you. That's funny because my first one was 06. Okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And I uh, that's when I did the first podcast panel. And uh, that summer, we had, we'd all been on for almost a year, yeah. a lot of us. So that's that's kind of why we were all – well, and just the opportunity to come out. <laughs> and also I was really lucky um, – Dan Brereton and the Nocturnals um, just made a deal with a new publisher, and the publisher was a friend of mine, and he made a preview comic that transcribed a bunch of Word Balloon interviews that I had done in my first year, oh, cool. and, we, uh, and we, we handed it out there. So, yeah, it was, like, even more imperative that I be there. Right. You know, I didn't have a booth or anything like that. He did. It's uh, the Century Guild booth. They're there every year, oh, okay. and they do kind of fine art posters and things like that. Right, right. Yeah. So, and they really neat stuff. And really, actually, like a lot of artists I know, are, like literally see that Century Guild like booth as kind of an oasis in the middle of Comic Con because there is like all these great prints of turn of the century exploitation posters and okay. various things and like real fine art. Uh huh. So it's 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 neat, and they've got you know really great uh, artists. David uh, Mack actually exhibits there a lot now. Okay, what did you say it's called? Century Guild. Century Guild. I'll take a look online. Yeah, and they uh, they've got a they've got a gallery now in uh, Los Angeles. When I when I knew them, they were here in Chicago, but they moved everything out to Culver City. Oh, okay. So yeah, they're out they're out in L.A. now. So what part is? I'm going to leave part of this in if it's okay, because all this seems to be pertinent to uh, what's going on this week and everything with Comic Con. Yeah, absolutely. What part? Of and I will. Are you from? What's that? So what part of Chicago are you from? I'm from the north suburbs, and I want to introduce Karen, Karen uh, Dwyer and welcome him officially to Word Balloon, but I'm from uh, the, the north suburbs of Chicago. Well, I, I, I'm sure I did it uh, in my pre-recorded intro to you, but I, I always feel I should do it live as well. So welcome to Word Balloon, and thank you very much for uh, finally coming on. Long time coming, as we said before we started recording. Thank you, John. Thanks for having me. 
Absolutely, and uh, congratulations on on the Kickstarter. Thank you. And I and I want to get give you the opportunity to give people the the ten cent tour on your on your project. So, tell us about the book. Um, I've been jokingly saying that it's like uh, if John Carpenter directed a Pokemon movie starring Louis C.K. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's you're right. There, I, there are elements of all that in here. Absolutely, go on. It's uh, what, it's a really or like uh, I was thinking today. It's kind of like every story you've ever seen in heavy metal magazine, but directed by Woody Allen. It's like uh, there's just um, it's truly like a mashup of every sort of genre and um, comics or pop culture type uh, thing that myself and my uh, writing partner Todd uh, are really into. Um, and the project basically began as a, as a way for me to uh, fulfill my own artistic ADD, which basically means I don't have, I, I can't sort of stay doing any one thing for too long before I start to get a little antsy and buggy. And so um, I wanted to do something like that that would allow me to just kind of play with different art styles and all that, but also hold it all within one actual storyline so that there wasn't just a series of one shots or mini series or something, which I knew that both readers and retailers would not really be able to get behind. Um, and also I just wanted to have something that was like an ongoing actual story because the more that, you know, there's so much great like episodic television and stuff out nowadays that, that really, I, I I appreciate the fact that you can actually develop something over a long period of time. You know, it just, uh, so the, the story is basically about a guy named Dexter Allen who, uh, is in his mid forties and kind of at a crossroads personally and, and artistically and creatively in his life. And he, um, he's diagnosed with some kind of brain anomaly. His doctors are kind of baffled by it. And he's been having these weird sort of, you know, sort of momentary visions of these glimpses of these other worlds and these other crazy uh, situations. And then before he knows it, after having read some comic book starring this kind of Flash Gordon type uh, sci-fi hero, mm -hmm. he actually finds himself transported into that world of the character whose name is Glint Granger. And he suddenly is Glint Granger fighting against, uh, you know, some evil planetary overlord and these, you know, uh, space squids and all sorts of, you know, sci-fi sort of uh, cliches and whatnot. Um, and then it turns out that he's being transported throughout the series into any range of other sort of pop culture and fantasy fiction based realities. And uh, it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's it's. Uh, it's it's a pretty meta story because obviously it's a, it's a comic book about a guy who's in a comic book, but then he's also like in comic other comic books. Um, and the division lines between what's fictional and what's reality and all of that stuff is getting blurrier and blurrier. And it's not just as the series goes on, it's, it, it's clear that it's not just him. It's, it's a much larger sort of, uh, Concept, you know, and a yeah, larger situation. problem that's uh, going to be unleashed on the world, essentially, you know, and uh, so yeah, there's a lot of depth, a lot more depth to it than there might seem just from the the, the short, you know, 
the short take on it. And are and are some of these worlds? He's he is a cartoonist, right? That's right. Yeah, exactly. To to add the extra another layer of meta to it, he uh, he is a struggling cartoonist, and he himself um, is not really realizing his own true true creative potential. Um, he's he's hobbled in some way by actually by, by you know some very traumatic events from his childhood, which we get into later in the series. Um, so he's having a hard time, you know, getting getting his ideas out there and actually getting it, manifesting it into reality. And uh, on top of that, he has this connection to a cartoonist who's very famous, who has created a uh, kind of world-famous comic strip about this, uh, you know, very wry cat character we call Fillmore. And um, so... <clears throat> While he's been struggling and, and hitting this sort of perpetual wall of, uh, you know, creative artist's block or whatever, um, this person that he once knew personally has gone on to huge fame. And to make matters works, <laughs> make matters worse, I should say, Dexter is also having to do storyboards for the uh, – TV commercials and things that advertise products that are based around this Fillmore cat character. <laughs> so we, it just sort of keep, we keep turning the screws basically on, on Dex as far as, uh, you know, his own personal humiliation and, and, uh, you know, emotional, <laughs> whatever, not well being. We get a sense of, yeah, not only, you know, the these couple books, but, you know, you even see, like, his bookshelf. So, no, fans can definitely relate to <laughs> Dexter's uh, comic tastes. Yeah. And, you know, it's fun to see you stretch and do all these different kind of art styles. And also the way, from a production standpoint, you've made the space opera look like a Silver Age comic mm -hmm. in its texture and, and color choices and things. And then there's the comic that uh, your your kid likes that has the kind of Hello Kitty sort of influence. To right, it. right. In, in, a, in a legally safe but obvious way, <laughs> clearly there's a nod exactly. to that. That's kind of like how Captain Strong in Superman is Popeye. It's okay. Yeah. You know. So, <laughs> you, know, been, you know, obviously I've, 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 I've had some history with uh, – lawsuits <laughs> so i'm uh i didn't remember if you don't mind oh, what, what happened? okay well there's the whole starbucks uh oh yes thing tell me if you don't mind <laughs> tell people the story you did this indie comic right Go so on. i've got a comic book called uh, lcd lowest comic denominator which uh started off as a mini comic that i was just basically bringing down to san diego comic-con for a couple of years and people were getting into it and uh and so i decided to go out come out with a full-length uh, actual comic book one year. I think it was around 1999. And uh, at the time, I had created this parody logo of the Starbucks uh, logo. And I was just – I had made some stickers and some T-shirts that I was selling locally in San Francisco at the time. And uh, I decided to put the image on the cover of the first issue of LCD – and before I did so, I went and talked with a lawyer um, because there's an organization in San Francisco called the California Lawyers for the Arts, which, you know, connects um, lawyers who are sort of working pro bono with artists to talk about, you know, legal matters and stuff, contracts and what have you. Uh, it's a great organization because at the time I certainly didn't have money to actually 
pay a lawyer. Uh, sure. And uh, so I was just wanted to check in with him and make sure that I was I had decent legal standing as far as the parody goes and. Right, fair use, yeah. and, and like you said, yeah, showing it as a parody. Go on. Exactly. So um, my lawyer said, you know, I think if they ever see this, which is possibly not that likely since it's just a small run, small uh, press kind of thing, but if they see it, they won't, you know, they probably won't like it, and they'll send you a cease and desist letter, and if that's, you know, if you don't stop when they send you that, then you might get into trouble. But anyway, I, he didn't seem to think there was that much uh, – concern. And so not long after the comic came out, um, I was actually sitting in my office in San Francisco at the time, sipping on a Frappuccino of all things. And, um, I, I, that is literally true. I was sipping the last sips of a Frappuccino, which was unfortunately my, my, uh, unbreakable habit at the time. And, uh, this spike messenger came to my office with this gigantic, like 600 page lawsuit, and he's like, I'm sorry, dude, I really like what you're doing. And he handed me this, you know, giant stack of papers. And I was like, oh, man. And it was a lawsuit. They had literally sued me without any kind of warning, without any kind of, you know, prior cease and desist letter or anything. They just sued me. And, uh, you know, I mean, I wasn't making any money doing, certainly not doing LCD. I was, you know, I was just doing mainstream comics here and there to get by. So I wasn't in any kind of, <laughs> in any position to fight it on a, you know, from a monetary basis. But my lawyer, the guy or the guy who had advised me, you know, took up the case and uh, defended me. And then we end, ended up settling out of court, but not before we got quite a bit of, uh, you know, press and publicity around it, which I thought was kind of an odd thing because the Starbucks essentially by doing this made themselves appear worse in terms of the public I, it seems to me, and they got, yes, you know, I got publicity out of it that I never would have gotten if they had just sent me a cease and desist letter, in which case I would have probably, you know, ceased and desist. Ceased and desist. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and then my lawyer estimated that they must have spent something like 30 grand just in terms of their lawyer's fees and what have you to bring the suit, which to me, it was seemed ludicrous. I'm like, they could have given me 30 grand to just stop doing it. I would have been very happy. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only unfortunate thing that you didn't, uh, for, you know, see any money from it. No, I, I, I didn't. I mean, and I was lucky because the CBLDF, uh, you know, raised or, or donated some money to my lawyer to help to sort of defray his costs. Cause That's terrific. You know, he basically wasn't charging me anything, you know, other than a few out of pocket uh, costs. So, yeah, I mean, that that was a huge thing. And the CBLDF is a great organization, which I fully support, and I definitely urge other people to do so. Absolutely. And I have to say, you're my first uh, CBLDF-related uh, uh, creator. I don't think I've ever had anyone on to that has needed their services. And I've talked to Charlie a couple times, Brownstein, at, mm -hmm. at shows, and it's always been the intent of getting Charlie on eventually to talk about the organization because uh, it's really important, and I, you know, the... A history of them protecting creators and store owners uh, is long and uh, well deserved in terms of uh, their their contribution in helping creators and and comic stores and the comics community out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I can't stress enough to to go check out their website. I think it's cbldf.org and um, yeah, groups like that or like the Hero Initiative. I mean, there's uh, sure. groups out there helping people 
in need of one sort or another. And I think that's an important thing to keep our keep our minds on, you know. You did uh, a collaboration, wasn't it, with Kurt Busick on the Liberty Project? Was that for the CBLDF as well? Um, I think you might have me... Or am I confusing you with somebody else? I think you might be. I'm not sure what that is, to be honest. Well, did you work on something called the Liberty Project or no? You can say no. I don't think so. <laughs> That's fine. And I and shame on me. That would be, uh, you know... Uh, yes. It might have been when I was drinking. I don't know. <laughs> well, no. Well, well, to be honest, no. The, the A lot of your period is when I checked out of comics oh. and going through your bibliography, um, you've worked with a lot of uh, – and you see now I see you did a Torch of Liberty story with John Byrne. That's right, yeah. For Danger Unlimited, yep. his, his Danger Unlimited series. And that was the heart of me being like, yeah, comics. I, you know, I got to be honest. I mean I wish I had known about Legend because I know – you guys and uh, Wade and a lot of other guys in almost you know their version of Image and stuff, I would have been much more interested in reading that stuff. I always respect the Image creators and what they did, the original Image creators, and I mean this, but that art first versus story style, mm-hmm. something I just couldn't relate to. And my first encounters with you was your stuff with Rick, Rick Remender. Oh, okay, yeah. Doing Steve Red and Nightmare and Triple uh, X Zombies and, 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 you know. Yeah, yeah. Blue- bit of fear agent and stuff but yeah that's that's where i became aware of you okay yeah well you know i've had that i've had what i would call a a fairly interesting career in terms of the the path that i've taken because i when i started in when i was 20 doing captain america and stuff at marvel and yeah with grunewald yeah right? go on. and then doing stuff at some stuff at dc and whatnot over the years and then Actually, it was around '99 that I started doing LCD, and and um, and that really opened a lot of doors. Ironically, um, there was a lot of stuff going on either at Vertigo or or in the underground scene or kind of the independent comic scene that I was always very interested in. But I think either people just didn't think of me in those terms because they only knew my mainstream work or um, you know, it's just it, it's easy to sort of um, pinhole people or, or, or uh, you know, as as one thing or another, but um, or pigeonhole. <laughs> I don't think he's the wrong I know what you're term there. No worries. Um, but uh, yeah, the LCD thing actually, in particular, because guys like Garth Ennis and Steve Dillon and Warren Ellis and uh, a bunch of other kind of Vertigo type guys really got into LCD and. Um, they started asking me to do stuff with them. You know, I was originally going to do a preacher one shot, uh, that fell apart. And so then ultimately I ended up only doing like a couple, uh, a pinup here or there. And I did a story with Garth in a, in a, um, in an anthology series at Virgo called Flinch. We did a, um, really strange, uh, Titanic story. Um, but, uh, you know, from that point on, after LCD started coming out, I started getting that kind of awareness. That was when I started doing a lot more of this stuff like Black Art Billy and uh, Last of the Independence. And, you know, and then Rick and I went on to do, as you say, Nightmare and other stuff. Yes. And shame on me for because I always praise that book, Last of the Independence. That is my first encounter with you, Karen. And, and I, I love that book. My God. And I see the kinship in the current book, by the way, too, that you've gone back to sepia as far as uh, right. the, the tone for the real world. 
for for the story and everything, which yeah. I, I think is great. It's a um, in terms of like the kind of mixture of stuff that the closest thing that I've done where some where all of these things or various things were contained kind of in the same place would be the book a series that Rick and I did called Nightmare, which we published it through IDW, and that was a, a story about a lucid dreamer, a girl in her teens who was a lucid dreamer and helping her father with people who were encountering all sorts of um, problems in their dream lives. And she was able to actually go into people's dreams and kind of help, help them. Um, and each one of those dream sequences I drew in a different art style. And then the reality stuff was all kind of in the same um, sort of a similar style to what I'm doing in terms of the reality pages with uh, West. Okay. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, so, I mean, it, I think because the similarities here, I wanted to, I wanted to actually have there be almost kind of a through line between the two projects in terms of the way that I draw the reality stuff and the way that I draw the, uh, you know, or, or there being a difference between that and all of the different, uh, comic book or pop, pop culture realities that Dex visits. It's a nice way to, to make sure that the, other realities or these other realms um, really pop out and they really stand mm -hmm. out in some way because in contrast to this more simply rendered uh, reality stuff. But there's no backdoor. Uh, it's it's a subtle connection to Nightmare. It, it, she's not going to pop up, is she? Or is she <laughs> no, no, exactly. It's an, it's more just like a, a through line between, you know, thematically yeah. my work and, and thematically, yeah. I'm with you. That's cool. No, man. Well, I got I to gotta dwell for a second on Less of the Independence because – like I said, I mean, uh, that was my first awareness of, of you and Matt Fraction, and uh, I know I talked to Matt about this before. We never, you and I have never talked about it. Um, it the Getaway is like and the, that kind of tone of crime movies uh, was always one of my favorites, and it, this was really a period where I was so excited about what was happening outside of DC and Marvel, and there were even DC and Marvel books that I liked, sure. but it was Powers and... Uh, Brew Baker and Michael Lark's uh, scene of the crime and Rucka's stuff, and then you and Matt with Last of the Independents, where I'm like, man, crime comics are really, really good right now. Yep. And you know, was that, um, you know, was the I know that was I'm assuming that was in Matt's mind. It's been a while since I talked to him about it. It was the getaway in your guys' mind when you made Last of the Independents, or even uh, another one of my favorites, the Lee Marvin film, uh, Point Blank. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't say specifically. I know that the story, the genesis of the story was, was a conversation Matt had with Larry Young. Okay. And this was right after. That's right. It was AIT. Yeah. I forgot that. Yeah, it was Larry's Larry's uh, publishing uh, AIT. Go on. That's right. So um, this was right after 9-11 or sometime in the, you know, the year uh, after 9-11. And uh, I know they were having a conversation just sort of about about the the um, when it was okay to start talking about certain things or when it was okay to have stories about particular kinds of things and um, so I know that they were talking about that and then and then Larry asked me if I was interested in drawing this book and he sent me the first ten pages which I think maybe were the only ten that Matt had written at that point and I really liked it and I thought yeah this sounds good to me I'm on board. I've, you know, if I can make this work financially, uh, I'll do it. And, um, you know, that period of time, the, the, the period of film that you're referencing is 
definitely one of my favorite periods. I'm a huge fan of William Friedkin in particular. You bet, man. Um, Absolutely. Chicago's very own. Exactly. <laughs> indeed. Yeah. In fact, I met him once in San Francisco. He was there to air um, for, for a, a, a showing of Sorcerer. Is that the name? Yes. You know? And um, the infamous uh, Friedkin movie where they like they, I forget which studio it was, but really gave him full auteur yeah. control. And unfortunately, you know, what didn't, wasn't quite up to French Connection and Live and Die in L.A. and some of his. Right. Oh, no, exactly. It's not quite not quite. Yeah. And to Live and Die in L.A. is absolutely one of my favorite films of all time. Yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, but that whole period of time, that 70s sort of anti-hero crime um, period and sort of, you know, bleeding into black exploitation stuff. And that particular period of film and, you know, um, Scorsese stuff, any of that kind of thing is really right where I'm at in terms of my influences, my film influences. And so um, I just wanted to bring that sensibility as well as kind of like a TV, you know, like a Rockford Files sure. a TV series kind of vibe to it again the, the either the anti-hero or the kind of um you know the guy who's who's not not really like your square jawed like got it has it all together kind of uh leading man character I, I i always appreciate any film or tv show that has something like that you know sure charlie Varick. Yeah. Another great yeah. math off. And that's a, that's another thing that Matt and I hooked on immediately were that weird like period where Walter Matthau was making straight up <laughs> cop action yeah. movies. Oh, I, you I know, mean, that and Laughing Policeman and uh, my favorite, Taking a Pelham 1, 2, 3. Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, and Matthau was one of those guys who like, because I think he was better known at least in later career as, you know, kind of a comedic actor, I guess, suppose because of the Neil Simon stuff and because of right. uh, Bad News Bears or what have you. Sure, you know, absolutely. That was certainly growing up my awareness of him first, really. And so to actually go back and look at some of his straight acting, another one that's a favorite of mine that he did is Face in the Crowd with uh, yes. Andy Griffith and uh, Patricia Neal, because there again, it's like, I love just seeing Andy Griffith in particular playing against type in that movie. That's That's one of the best best things that guy ever did and he did a lot of good stuff but uh well i'm gonna want to hear your your william friedkin like encounter but before you do mentioning face in the crowd i got to know bud schulberg the writer of uh face in the crowd before he passed away oh, wow. and and yeah we were uh, he was a big boxing writer and i covered boxing in uh the 90s and the early 2000s for a couple magazines and a couple radio stations and um he actually consented to do a word balloon with me uh, we did it for Sporting News Radio, the all-sports station that I worked at, but I put it on Word Balloon because of my love of movies. And in particular, uh, he's like, you know, I, I helped, I, I just, you know, he was getting up in years, and I just kind of helped him get around at one of the big heavyweight title fights. Mm. And he was very appreciative. And we had a couple mutual friends, and we just really bonded uh, hanging out uh, over the period of a couple fights. And he's like, is there anything I can do for you? And I'm like, would you be willing to like do a phone interview with me and we could talk movies? And he's like, oh, absolutely. So we, right before Tyson fought Lennox Lewis, a couple days before he was leaving for that fight, um, we had a great conversation. And I'm like, you've got to tell me about Andy Griffith and Face <laughs> in the Crowd because yeah. it's such a great, dark 180 degrees from Andy of Mayberry and really everything that Andy had done with his career since. Yeah. And it's such a powerful movie and he pulls it off. 
and and yeah, so he you know he told me just the experiences and that even like Andy doubted himself and how Ilya Kazan, the director, and Bud would really have to like walk Andy around and kind of convince him like, no, you can do this, man. Yeah, and and really like get in his face and be like, you got to be tougher, Andy. You got to be meaner, Andy. And it's amazing. And at the time, early two thousands, uh, Bud was telling me that uh, whichever studio has the rights to the story wanted to remake it, and they wanted to remake it with Jim Carrey. Oh. And I know, and that's the thing. I'm like, Ugh. and this is pre Truman Show and yeah. uh, that that Frank Capra esque uh, movie that he made about the movie oh. theater, the Palace or whatever it was called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and even and even Bud's like, yeah, they got to You know, he kind of shrugged. He's like, you know, it's theirs. They can do whatever the hell they want with it. I'm not crazy about it. And he wanted to see them make what makes Sammy Run, a uh, wonderful novel that he wrote, and he wanted Ben Stiller. Mm to be Sammy Glick and and that was really interesting and he said that's what I'm pushing for oh. and he said and it's an uphill and this is interesting you know early 2000s he was telling us this like more than 10 years ago wow. so uh, yeah Bud was man. so tell me like Friedkin did you, did you have a chance to talk to him about like Last of the Independence <laughs> no I don't actually I'm wondering I, I don't know if we had even done Last of the Independence when this when I saw that that might have oh, okay. predated it no I mean it was just uh, I mean it was it was just a cool thing to go and see the movie and have him there and have him talk about it afterwards and take questions sure. and things and uh, go up and shake his hand and thank him for making some of my very favorite movies, you know? Uh, Absolutely. Oh, that, I don't blame you. Well, where have, you know, West Portal's kind of your, not comeback, but you know, you've been away for a while. What have you been doing? So, um, basically after, when we moved up to Portland, uh, back in 06 and, um, and around that same time, Rick Remender, he moved up. We had both been mm-hmm. living down in San Francisco, and we've been sharing studio spaces down there and working on stuff together, obviously, for a number of years. And he moved up here as well as we did, and um, we we shared space at Periscope with a bunch of the people there. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Steve Lieber and Jeff Parker and Ron Randall and a bunch of other guys. and. Good people, absolutely. Colleen, uh, Colleen Coover, and uh, is she over there too? Yep, and uh, – yeah, there's a you know a whole huge group of people. Yeah, yeah. Um and we continued to do comics for a while, Rick and I did, and we you know, sort of ending with the Triple X Zombies series. But in the meantime, as I uh once I had moved up here, I started I got hooked in with the uh, Wyden Kennedy, which is a local ad agency. And um it just as time went on they used me more and more and I had less time available basically to do comics and uh you know, less reason to do them, I suppose, because I wasn't, uh, uh, you know, wasn't needing the, uh, the work. So, um, I've been doing mostly advertisement stuff for them. I've worked a lot on old spice. I've worked on virtually every old spice ad you've seen for the last <laughs> eight years. This is what I heard you, the, in particular one that people would obviously recognize would be the, the unicorn or, or the uh, centaur, whatever he is. There's the, the man is, yeah. Well, there's the Isaiah Mustafa ones, the, the man, the man could smell like with the, I'm on a horse guy. Um, <laughs> I've done all of those. Uh, and then, I mean, I basically done just about any ad, old spice ad you've seen, whether it's been print or, uh, TV is wow. something that I worked on. And, um, I've done a lot of Nike and a lot of Coca-Cola, Heineken, some Powerade, some, you know, I did, I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago at the, in the Super Bowl, there was a very funny Oreos commercial called Whisper Fight about these guys uh, sort of 
you know, arguing over the merits of the cream or the cookie and then but they're doing it really quietly in a in a in a library and anyway it was very very funny um i've just yeah it's it's been a really great pleasure to work for that company in particular the people there have been all super great and uh i've got something coming up through old spice it's an old spice instagram thing um but i'm i'm still waiting for them to go live with it so i i don't have any kind of link for it or whatever but that one's actually the first thing that will where people will actually be able to see my art in it um as opposed to with the commercials you know it's just me doing the storyboards and things for the commercials to pitch them or to you know certainly um but so like it or not, or whether people realize it or not they've actually been seeing my work now for the last several years and probably more people honestly have seen it <laughs> indirectly through the commercials and ever have seen any of my comic books. So, and have you enjoyed it? Is it, is it a fun job or, you know, I mean, cause obviously Dex is not happy with where he is. <laughs> yeah. And you know, we, how much do we read into no, <laughs> what you yeah, might be going? I know the people, the, I, you know, one of the things I should say is that several of my, my very, uh, uh, my backers on the Kickstarter are guys that I've been working with now at Wyden Kennedy for a number, number of years. And the, the truth is that, the experience that I've had there, I don't work, I don't work on site, you know, very much there. It's mostly just done, you know, over, over the phone and email these days, but sure. Um, no, suffice to say that the agency that Dex works for is definitely not like the one that I've been working for. Um, I've, I've not had that same kind of experience, but for the sake of what we're, what we're doing here, um, it, it works better to have Dex's experience just be a miserable one. Sure. Um, but yeah, as far as I get, I'm concerned, I I found, and, and I guess this is part of why I, I have not been doing comic books, at least not for other people, um, is that for me, that kind of artistic ADD I alluded to is um, makes the advertising work actually much better a much better fit for me because I'm able to kind of jump from thing to thing. Um, I'm, I'm being asked to do different kinds of stuff on different ads. So Nike ads are definitely nothing at all like old spice ads. And, um, I, you know, occasionally get to bust out some kind of drawing style or something that's different than, than the one I was using on another ad. So, um, and I think the speed of things too, the the way that they frequently just need something immediately frees me up to do something to keep things loose and to keep things uh, kind of uh, more gestural and sketchy or something, which I like to do. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, <clears throat> it suits me quite a bit. Um, but, you know, it, I was starting to feel just like, more and more I was starting to feel that pull of like, I've got to be creating something of my own. And Todd and I talked out this idea that I had been kind of, you know, mulling for a while. And we realized that we had a lot of really cool ideas and we just kind of started spinning the story and talked about it for a number of months. And, uh, and Todd basically just did a, an amazing job pulling together all of the, various, you know, random thoughts that we'd been talking about and hashing over and actually, you know, pulled it together into some kind of actual linear plot, which is not easy to do. I have to say that the, 
the all of these different spheres or dimensions that we are exploring, you know, and we're just sort of scratching the surface of them in this first issue. But there being so many of them, it's it's very it's a very layered, multi-layered kind of story, and we're trying to, you know, make sure that we planted the seeds in issue one for things that won't even come to fruition until issue sixteen or you know whatever. Um, and that takes a lot of forethought. So we've actually pl- plotted out the first sixteen issues completely, um, and then we've got material going even beyond that. But that's that's. Right now we have a very detailed plot through issue 16 and we've got issue one basically done and we've got issues two, three and four Todd has scripts for. So we're like we're in a very solid place right now. But the Kickstarter is meant to help us push forward and get the next three issues done in a more timely manner than it's taken us to get this first issue done. So would that be the first arc, the first four issues? Yeah, that's sort of what we're seeing. It, you know, we're kind of looking at it's four issue, four four issue arcs for those first sixteen that we've plotted out. Um, yeah. And do you see yourself uh, self-publishing? Do you have any sort of down the road uh, collection publisher in mind, or you know, we don't really know. We've we've talked to a couple people. We have some people who've expressed some interest. Um. And, you know, I, this is the first time I've done a Kickstarter and I, I, uh, I felt like I had done quite a bit of my homework and, uh, but now having actually gotten into it and running it, I, I, yeah, halfway through what, what are you learning? (laughs) I've learned. No, honestly, this is what I ask all the creators that are doing this. Go on. It's really, uh, it's a very challenging thing. I have to say it's been, you know, in some ways it's been rewarding because I've, I've, you know, been out online basically every day making connections sort of like pushing and pulling and trying to you know make sure that people are aware of what we're doing um so i've gotten a lot of support and a lot of people a lot of other creators writers and artists in the business um that i've known or who know my work um you know been very supportive and been helping sort of spread the message but um the the camp Pain elf is very challenging. It's just like it's I, I, other people have told me this and, I, and now I know that it's true. Running the Kickstarter is a job in itself. It's like a full time job when I'm not even, when I'm not actually doing it. I'm still I'm thinking about it all the time. I'm thinking about, well, what do I need to do? What more can I do? How can I get so and so to you know help us push it or whatever it is? Um, so that part of it is is very challenging. And you probably know, having talked to a lot of artists and and writers um our strong suit generally is not the business side of things <laughs> um and self-promotion and those kind of uh that that aspect of of this kind of stuff is really not something that comes naturally to me it's not something i would prefer to be doing i would prefer to just be actually making my comic book um and so it's a, it's a challenging thing. And I think in hindsight, I'm looking at it, you know, honestly and thinking perhaps we should have um, run a Kickstarter that was just to, to print a special edition of the first issue or something. Um, And then we could have started smaller and then built from that, you know, and, and if this one fails to fund, then that's fair likely what we will do is just start over again start a little smaller, you know, 
get the first issue out to people and you try and use that as a way to get more attention on, on the book, you know, let people actually see what we're doing the whole first mm-hmm. issue. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it's interesting now in hindsight to be looking at other people's Kickstarters. I've seen some really good ones. I've seen some really bad ones. I've seen ones that, uh, you know, are do a perfect job of explaining what they are and what, why you should give them money. And then others that don't do such a good job. And I've basically been working, you know, as this thing, even as, has gone on, we changed the video. We did all sorts of things to try and improve it as we've gone along to improve our chances to, to get to the goal. Um, you know, I think that we've done a really good job of what we're, we're trying to do. And, uh, I know that the book itself is is a worthwhile venture, and I know that Todd and I will get this book out to people one way or the other. Um, you know, the issue the, the issue for us is how can we do it in a timely manner because it you know it takes a long time to to produce something like this as a side gig when you're also doing you know full time work elsewhere, which both you, you both both of us are doing. <laughs> sure. What's Todd's day job? Uh, so Todd is a graphic designer. He specializes in UI and UX kind of stuff. So he works for Google and Nokia and other clients like that. Okay. You've probably Great. seen his work without realizing it on various phone apps and other kinds of web, uh, web-based web apps and things like that. Crazy. The uh, You've got, you know, about, as we release this, uh, just over a week left or so. Mm. Uh, in terms of the Kickstarter campaign, yep. and uh, yeah, you know, no, I, you're, hey man, you're, you're an awesome artist, and uh, you don't need me to tell you that, but for, you know, well, it's the truth. I mean, and and I mean, it's a beautiful book, and it is a fun concept, and also, it is uh, an interesting time right now because I see some similarities, although very different stories, still uh, to what James Robinson is doing with Airboy right now at Image. And he's kind of telling this weird meta story, very different, right. but in terms of reality and fiction kind of coming at a crossroads, more the fiction coming to the real world, although I guess where things leave off in the second issue, uh, they're about to uh, be in uh, Airboy's uh, World War II. Hmm. So, but uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's a touch of that in there. Um, and also, and you even mentioned it too, your, your Dan, your Dan Klaus kind of Charles Burns influences i think in this in this story as well yeah there's some of that i mean that's the thing there's like everything this really runs the gamut um and i you know i definitely want people to realize that 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 the the stuff that we're drawing on these other realms these other places are um not strictly comic book related worlds um that's kind of where we're starting the story because that's dex's frame of reference for this traveling that he does and in, into these other spheres but mm-hmm. um as the series goes on we've got a whole bunch of other stuff planned that that's not you know nothing at all related to comic books um will it be an old spice for world a lot of deodorant <laughs> and everything in this world and everything <laughs> yeah no I, but i honestly do see a lot of good pop, pop culture references in uh in the issue that you sent me and everything so that's right uh, we definitely like making fun of some of the um we do have a a series um one of the realms is based around a a, a character who's kind of in the mold of the the 70s wonder woman or uh you know um 
ISIS or any of those kind of shows about sort of super powered women. Um, and, uh, so yeah, we've got all sorts of ridiculous. So we got some Jack chick, uh, Bible tract kind of, uh, I saw that. That's <laughs> awesome. Yes. So definitely. Yeah. Those crazy, you know, I worked at a bank and some guy would like leave those little tiny, they're, they're the size of Tijuana Bible kind of pamphlets. Right. And yeah, for people, and there's a great documentary about Jack Chick who would draw these like people falling to eternal damnation because, you know, they didn't follow the Bible or whatever. Right. And yeah, they're, they're amazing if, if people don't know what we're talking about and just do a YouTube search for uh, Jack T. Chick and you'll, you'll find the documentary and uh, yeah, crazy stuff. So yeah, I see that. <laughs> I see that uh, those pages in there as well. We got, you know, the uh, basically, I don't want it. Spoiler alert. The, uh, the God and the devil are both characters in this series. <laughs> And do they speak like James Woods and uh, James Garner? <laughs> you remember that? That was pretty good, man. Did you see that cartoon? Wait, which one was that? It was God the Devil, and I forget what the human being's name was, but basically it was you know God the Devil fighting over this one normal guy's soul. Was that? And was James it? Garner played the God, played God, and James Woods played the Devil. What was that? Where was where was that shown? It was on NBC, and like you know, it was kind of like when Clerks was on ABC. Like it had oh. like you know five or six episodes, and they you know. It's too bad because it was a great idea, but it, it unfortunately should have gone to like Adult Swim or something yeah. like that, where I might have, you know, gotten a season or two. Because it was, it was a really great idea. It was a real and, and really great casting because James Garner is such a great, just kind of easygoing guy. Oh, and yeah. James Woods is a very funny devil. Absolutely, <laughs> that's awesome. I'll have to, I'll have to, maybe that's on YouTube. I'll have to go check that. You know, yeah, and I'm surprised to be honest that that hasn't come out. And certainly since Garner passed and everything, because yeah. it is like one of those like little blips. But you know, he, I'm as you know, being a being a Rockford fan, I'm right there with you. <laughs> and yeah, no, James Garner can do no wrong. I just taped. Um, what is it? Uh, Marlo was on Turner like on Friday night, like late late night this past Fourth of July weekend, and I'm like, oh, I gotta watch his Philip Marlo. Yeah, man, he was yeah. such a class act. My dad was actually in an episode of Rockford Files. Wow! So that was a yeah. He, my dad uh, is an actor, and uh, so well, both my parents were actors when I was growing up in Chicago, as a matter of fact. And uh, no kidding, they uh, they're both theater actors in uh, Chicago, and then my dad got a couple film roles there was a kirk douglas movie called the fury that filmed there yes uh, my dad and dennis franz played these two cops that get uh hijacked by uh kirk douglas's character and um so my dad went out to la to do some looping when the film was in post-production and then uh he basically decided to stay out there and uh pursue the acting the film stuff there so he had a number of, of Fun roles over the years. He was on a couple, an episode of MASH when Radar was leaving the show. That was fun. And he... Uh, wow, he's in that, ep like, Radar's last episode and everything? Yeah, he plays this snarky uh, lieutenant or something who's uh, not wanting to let Radar on, on a plane or something. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I, I'm i a big MASH fan, man. That's <laughs> so, you know, and, and more comics-related MASH cameos, Larry Hama. Oh. Is in a mash episode. Oh yeah, yeah. I think I remember that. And that and and I I finally put all that together, and it's like I know that episode because I am I'm so, I was such a mash fan as a kid. Oh sure. And, and certainly when it was in syndication, I never got sick of mash. So no, that was a good, that's, good one. That's cool. And and so what what theater group did your mom and dad belong to here in Chicago? They weren't they weren't a part of a theater group. They just were theater 
actors. They both did okay. a lot of plays and, and uh, you know, dinner theater and plays. Sure. Different oh, you know, plays. I'm finding, do you know uh, Studs Terkel, the, sure. the writer and stuff yep. and, and radio broadcaster? Uh, on archive on the internet archive at archive.org they have a lot of his interviews that he did uh, for one of the public radio stations here in Chicago and so many times he would get great old actors that were coming through town when, you know in the 60s and 70s when live theater was still very you know much a part of the Chicago scene the way it still is in New York right. and and we still got I, I was just in a production actually here in, mm. in in, in Chicago doing a voiceover and it was a lot of fun for me. Yeah. Uh, and it, and it, you know, but unfortunately to be honest, Chicago theater isn't what it was when your parents were here. Right. Doing it. And, uh, but no God, like really big names. And it would be like Chester Morris who played Dick Tracy in Boston Blackie. He was doing uh, the play advice and consent, which, you know, has these like kind of Senate hearings. It's a great Otto Preminger movie for people who don't know. And it's got these like kind of Senate hearing kind of courtroom scenes where Henry Fonda is being vetted as the next Secretary of State and all the senators are kind of questioning him. And it's a, it's a great play and it's a great movie. And, you know, you, he would just talk and he talked about being a character actor in his later years and going from being a leading man in the 30s and 40s in these B movies. Right. Surviving as a character actor, it's fascinating conversation. So, hmm. um, and I've known a couple character actors that were friends of my parents over the years and did the same thing that your parents did and, and moved out to the West Coast and would, you know, yeah, he's on a Barney Miller or he's on a Mash, like you said, or Trapper John, <laughs> and just, you know, I mean, like Universal and all the big studios were just shitting out TV shows and, you know, had these parts. So yeah, it was. I mean, I, did they do okay? Did, you know, was it, were they able to have successful careers as character actors? You know, my dad did okay. He was, uh, you know, he's still out there. He's, um, but. Is he still doing it? Uh, you know, still ostensibly, but I don't think he's had a role in quite a while. He uh, okay. What's his What's his uh, name? Uh, his stage name is Michael O'Dwyer. Michael O'Dwyer. We're gonna have to look him up. Keep yeah, going. So I, I, funny. Somebody else was posting recently on Twitter, and I they had posted a picture from The Howling, which is another movie that he was in. And awesome. Uh, but I made a joke about his uh, his end his credit at the end, which he's right at the end of the film. He's just talking about uh, commenting on it when D Wallace's character actually transforms into a, a werewolf on screen. Oh, spoiler. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but sorry, if you haven't seen the howling by now, <laughs> yeah, 30, 30 years is, you know, that's, that's enough of a spoiler warning. I, I can appreciate it. Um, but, uh, and my dad has a line commenting on it. So his line, his credit in the end of the movie is drunk at bar. <laughs> <laughs> So is it O apostrophe Dwyer? That's right. Yep. Yeah. Checking IMDb. I don't know if he has one or not. To be honest. Oh, he might not because I'm looking for him and I don't I don't see him here. Dude, you gotta you you gotta like. Guess uh, I gotta get on there. Yeah. Yeah, man. Hell, I got an IMDb for. Christ. I know. I think I do even for my for Sky High. Uh, right, what'd you do for Sky High? There's a uh, at the opening and the ending. There are some uh, comic book illustrations to to lead into the movie and then to pull out of it at the end. And those were drawn by me. Outstanding. Dude, I got to tell you, I'm not, and I'm not being nice. I love that. <laughs> me too. <laughs> it's a great, it really is. Cause honestly, uh, you know, and I'm, you know, Disney now the caretaker of so many things that we all mm. love, like Marvel and star Wars and all that stuff and Indiana Jones. Yeah. But I mean, and, and really like, 
it's it's so easy to make a bad superhero movie. Oh yeah. And Sky High isn't. It's a really fun movie. It's fun. I, you know, I didn't know anything about it really when they were asking me to do this because I was working for the the title sequence company. Um, you know, and and so I was seeing some some. I wasn't even seeing any outtakes from the film. I was just seeing photographs of the characters. Um, and you know, I didn't know what to expect. It was like you know, I thought obviously with Kurt Kurt Russell in the lead role and everything. It, it, yeah, there, like the Superman, basically. It could sort of go any way, you know. It could either have been right. really, really, <laughs> really bad, you know. So um, I love Kurt Russell. I but do. I, I mean, it. yeah. I mean, and Todd, my partner on West Portal. I mean, he's 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 got a Snake Plissken T-shirt. He's all about this, the uh, the Kurt Russell. We're all about um, about Kurt Russell. And in fact, when the Triple X Zombies series that Rick and I did a few years ago, the the main, our main sort of badass character was definitely meant to be like a Kurt Russell by way of Chris Christopherson, you know, kind of guy. Um, awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. So, uh, yeah, the um, we might just have to bust out some kind of John Carpenter uh, sphere in West Portal and get our our main guy looking a little bit Snake Plissken one. <laughs> Dexter, kind of a schlubby Snake Plissken. Yeah, schlubby Snake Plissken. <laughs> Uh, well, he makes a he makes a good schlubby space operator so. So, in the first issue. So yeah, man. Maybe no, just an eye. Very enough eye patch and glasses. <laughs> very fun. No, man. Like honestly, yeah. I, I really, if people are ignoring Sky High, they shouldn't because it's really funny. Yeah, it's, it's, and, it, and it really is like one of those movies that I don't think got its due when it was out. And I think now looking back. It really is like one of the better kid superhero movies out there. Yeah, I think it's charming. It's legitimately charming and sweet. Yes, and uh, everybody in it is great. And the um, it's got, I, you know, the the soundtrack is sort of also sentimental for me. Although the it's a bunch absolutely of cover cover versions of '80s songs, but they're '80s songs that I love. So. I agree with you. No, I know, man. We're like you and I are a couple of years apart in age. I'm a little bit older than you, but no, I feel the same way. And it's like it's kind of like Devo 2.0, where you're like, oh, right, a little too sanitized, but yeah. I, I kind of like it. It's all right. <laughs> it's still Devo. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's funny. And yeah, I forget the name of that kid. Michael Argento, I think, is his name. That sounds right. Who yeah. Who plays the lead kid? And he always surprises me in terms of I, I like more of his movies than I realize. And it's like you know he's a pretty good actor, so I'm a, I'm a fan of his. And yes, Guy is one of his one of his better ones. But Dave Foley and oh yeah, uh, the guy from Broken Lizard that's Farva in uh, Super Troopers. I forget his name. Who plays the bus driver, former oh, uh, sidekick? Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the uh, and Kevin, what's his name? The other guy from the the um, the kids in the hall. Uh, Oh, that's right! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kevin McDonald. That's right. He plays another another one of that's the, right. The I forgot. And and uh, uh, what's his face? Bruce, Bruce Campbell, Campbell the, the coach. coach. Yep. <laughs> yeah. No, it's and, a, and, it's a terrific. And, and you can't forget Linda Carter as the principal. True, and the lovely <laughs> Kelly Preston as uh, Mrs. Uh, Kurt Russell. That's right. Yeah. And yeah, no, there's you know, and Linda, seriously, like Linda Carter, every time you gotta, you know, Jesus, I mean, the woman's like <laughs> seventy years old and still stunning. <laughs> it's like, God damn, man, way to go, Wonder Woman. I know. So she's good genes. Absolutely, man. Too funny. No, that's cool. And that's cool about your dad, man. That's that's awesome. So I you know these are little things I, I had no idea about. Tell me, um, do you mind? I'm, I'm interested in this uh, Captain America run that you had with Grunewald mm -hmm. because, Jesus, it was a couple of years. Yeah, it was basically two years. I 
started around issue 337, I think. Um, and it says 338 in Wikipedia to 367. There you go. Um, February of 88 to February of 90. Yep. That's right. So what, what period, like, you know, what were some of the arcs that you were, or stories that you remember? So when I came on, the whole thing was, you know, they were you didn't do, do Cap Wolf, doing the Steve. No, I didn't do Cap Wolf. That was, after, <laughs> Good. That was mercifully, that was after I left. Um, <laughs> in fact, I don't think Greenwald told me that he had that in mind because that would have definitely sealed the deal of me leaving. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're through. Here. Yeah. <laughs> Cap Wolf. Um, no. So, when I came on, it was yet another storyline of Steve Rogers not being Captain America, and in this case, it was uh, John uh, what's John Walker, Walker the uh, U.S. agent. U.S. agent. He had been the Super Patriot before that, and then uh, became U.S. agent after after um, Steve Rogers got the cap gear back. Um, cool. But uh, so that was where I started, and then the we did a another sort of sequence within those the larger series called the bloodstone hunt, which was fun. Um, and then after that, it was only a couple issues after the bloodstone hunt thing wrapped up. And, uh, we did some acts of vengeance kind of tie-ins and things like that. Okay. I, I remember that I've, I've heard of that event. I don't, I don't remember reading it, but I, I, I believe, like I said, that's kind of when I checked out for a while. Um, but you, uh, I, I noticed you worked, uh, also on Superman. With uh, with Dave Michelini, yeah, I did. That was a good run. We had we were doing action uh, action comics for about a year. Um, and what was happening during that? It was a it was a good experience overall, but it was it was challenging. Um, it was post death of Superman, so he'd come back and he had the pony. He had the mullet. He had the ponytail. Yeah, which. I, oh, okay. Uh, All right. Well, at least it's the ponytail. <laughs> it was very unfortunate. The long hair at Superman, I think, was a very unfortunate uh, choice, but. Um, yeah, so so Superman didn't have the ponytail. It was like Clark had the ponytail in the glasses, and uh, and then Superman had let it let it flow free. But um, that uh, that the fun of it was actually sort of like interacting with the other teams because the way that they had the Superman books working at the time, each issue kind of like all five monthly books kind of continued the same storyline. So we were all absolutely. Yeah. You know. Louis Simonson, Louis Simonson was another writer and, um, John, uh, Bogdanova was, uh, doing one of the books as well. I believe uh, he, yeah, I think he was drawing the one that Louise was writing and then Carl Kiesel was writing one and that Stuart Eminem was drawing. Right. Stuart. Absolutely. And, and did you have, um, trying to remember oh, who else? Yeah, me too. Um, Jerry Ordway, was he doing a book? Was he doing adventures back then? Uh, no, I think Brett Breeding and um, Ron Friends and Brett Breeding maybe were doing one. Okay, funny, interesting. And I can't. I'm sorry, but I can't remember the other team. But no, but I'm impressed. That's yeah. that's still because cool. while yeah, but the um, the part. I mean, it was a double edged sword because the the books they really it was Mike Carlin and a couple other people who were managing the books at the time, and they did a really good job of of making that system work and to keep the books humming. But um, it could be very frustrating because Dave and I, for instance, would come up with an idea and unless we could do it sort of self-contained with one issue, then we frequently didn't get to finish out whatever we started. So by the time the book came back around to us, you know, 
it would be kind of a whole other storyline almost, you know? Sure. Um, so that got to be a bit challenging and, uh, and this was pre internet really. And so I was every couple of days I was getting like a big FedEx box of just Xeroxes of everyone else's pages and scripts and whatever. Um, and it was just, it kind of became overwhelming. Um, and uh, I had to, I had to, I had to. After a year of that, I was like, okay, I got to check out. I got to do something else. I can appreciate that. And you worked on the Avengers with Kurt Busiek and Jeff Johns. Yeah, that was that was kind of again like I had taken a bit of time off from comics because Rick and I, along with another guy, uh, John Estes, were doing um, some web animation stuff um, for a company in San Francisco called Wild Brain, and we were. Um, trying to make a venture happen there. Uh, so for the better part of a year or more, we were out of comics altogether and just doing that. And then, uh, and then when the internet bubble burst, it kind of burst <laughs> what we were doing in the process. And, uh, and just around that time, Kurt asked me if I wanted to, to do the Avengers. So Rick and I jumped on board. Um, and we did that I guess we did that, and that was also a tricky one because we we did an issue or two with Kurt, and then they already knew that when he was done with the King saga that he was doing, um, that Jeff Johns was going to come on the board, the book, uh, as the regular writer, and they wanted us to stay on the book. So we they wanted to run basically a preview of, I think, most or all of the first issue that Jeff was going to have, they wanted to run in wizard, I think. Um, so we, we basically had to jump o- over onto Jeff's first issue, draw that up and then go back to drawing the rest of Kurt's run on the Kang thing, which was a little weird. It just, you know, just very, um, odd sort of timing thing that we had to do, but uh, we helped finish out Kurt's run and that was fun. It was, I thought that it was a pretty strong finish to what he had been working on. And then uh, we did four issues with Jeff uh, before it was time to pack it up and move on to something else. Very cool. I, I, I have to ask because I I had no idea and then seeing this on Wikipedia and, and confirmed by an interview you did that uh, your mom at one point had married John Byrne, and you were John Byrne's stepson for a while. That 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 is correct. <laughs> and that's, I guess, how like you got to work on Torture Liberty, or you know, I'm assuming did, did that have a lot to do with it, or no? Yeah. So um, I had been doing comics already at that point for a number of years, um, and John and I had never worked on anything anything together, um, and. We hadn't really discussed it either, and then he asked me if I wanted to do um, these backup stories of, with this sort of – I guess it must have been because I, at that point, had already done a couple of years on Cap, and since the Torch of Liberty character is essentially a similar kind of Captain mm-hmm. America type, yeah. uh, you know, he thought it would be cool if I did that. And so uh, I agreed to do it because I wanted to basically try my hand at a kind of more old-school – you know, Alex Toth, Jack Davis, Mort Drucker kind of um, war story. Uh, Fun. And 
Um, John always could seem to write those kind. You know, when he would write Cap in the forties, I always thought he had his voice very well. You know, handled and everything. Yeah, and that was fun to do. I mean, I got a lot of. It was only you know five or six pages, I think, in each of the issues of Danger Unlimited, and then we did a Torch of Liberty special, um, which was Torch of Liberty in the fifties, which was more like a you know, Red Scare era. Um, kind of, Fighting American, yeah. that kind of thing. One of my favorites, the Simon and Kirby uh, 50s. Right. Kind of Captain America pastiche. And the plan had been, we, we we talked about it, and it never came to pass after the Torch of Liberty special, but we had talked about doing a, a Torch of Liberty storyline within each of the decades moving up forward. So moving from the 40s into the 50s, then doing a 60s, and then a 70s, you know, kind of. Sure. Moving it forward to kind of ape those particular eras and, and the, you know, fighting uh, Captain America type characters of each of those eras. Yeah, era appropriate kind of supervillain. Sure. Yeah, but uh, anyway, we didn't we didn't it never happened. <laughs> Understood. And yeah, as I as I read in the article and stuff, you know, your your mom and he are no longer together, but you know, no animosity, but. Good luck to both of you, obviously. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they still remain friends and uh, and oh. see each other all the time. It's not, yeah, there was nothing. Uh, no drama. No drama. Good. Hey, that's honestly very refreshing and nice. Isn't I know, it? exactly. It's kind of nice that there's no baggage. That's good. That's cool. My was it long? Well, know, I mean, there's everybody's. Everybody seems to be at fine. <laughs> That's cool. And and not to dwell on it, but I am curious because just working with Byrne and everything, I mean, he's he's got a reputation. And, uh, you know, like, was it fine? Was it easy? Or was it just another job? Or um, Working with him on those jobs was easy enough. Yeah, I mean, it, I don't remember there being any, any real difficulty to it. He had um, uh, the plots he gave me were, I mean, he he knew what I was capable of. He was he trusted my abilities. He gave me plots that were very – they weren't full scripts. They were plots, you know, with some okay, Marvel stuff. suggested dialogue and stuff. But so, you know, it it was super easy. Uh, cool. I have to say it was no drama at all in that regards either. That's cool. Hey, man, no, and I've, I, I've had as many, you know, people that have worked with John over the years that have very nice – you know, good, good, simpatico kind of stories of working with them, and people that are like, "Yeah, I could have had an easier." <laughs> right. So, so that's that's cool to hear. And really, I just had um, Chris Ryle on from IDW, where John currently is, right. and we we you know, so he's kind of in my head uh, recently, having uh, talked about it. So uh, that was a surprise, and I'm like, "Oh, that's that's interesting." You know, some some of the weird, unlike Stanley and Jim Lee, who are not related. <laughs> You know, it's kind of it's kind of funny to find some of these comic connections and stuff that people don't necessarily expect. So that's cool. With Jeff on Adventures, did you do any of that? I remember there was that infamous Ant Man uh, Wasp, uh, or I should say Hank Pym Wasp sex scene, where uh, Janet was full size and Hank was kind of traveling <laughs> Janet's body. Uh, we didn't have anything to do with that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I thought Jeff wrote that story. Maybe, you know, that's like it was either Jeff or it was Chuck Austin. I can, And honestly, uh, because Chuck kind of had that reputation yeah, of that, that kind Chuck. of crazy story. But I believe it was one of Jeff's stories. So maybe it was after you left the book. I don't know. Interesting. That sounds more like something that you would have seen in the Ultimates than uh, in the actual. That's true. <laughs> 
<laughs> and yeah, very unlike Jeff John's sort of story. Yeah. But yeah, I remember that that causing some controversy and not not having the issues in front of me. I felt I should ask. <laughs> so that's cool. And you did Remains with Steve Niles back in uh, 2004. Yep, yep, that was a fun book to do as well. That was right. Uh, I was actually finishing up that series when my son was born. So I literally drew a page of that book in the delivery room while I was waiting uh, between the time that we, my wife got the, uh, <laughs> her epidural and the time that the doctors came in to uh, deliver our son, I was finishing up a page. <laughs> That's cool. Well, for West portal, mm -hmm. you've got, like you said, you've got 16 issues kind of mapped out. I've been asking a lot of the image guys and a lot of the creator owned guys, um, how they see, the creator-owned market right now, and even in terms of when you have an original idea, how long you, you envision the story running. Have you had those conversations with, say, Rick or some of your other peers that you know have been doing it while you've been away and now that you're coming back in terms of length of story and, and things like that? You know, I've talked with Rick in particular quite a bit, um, given the number of, of books he's got going at Image in particular, and um, his take on, on the marketplace and so forth. The, um, the biggest thing that I'm aware of and the, the thing that I'm most focused on as far as what Todd and I need to do with this book is keeping it monthly. Um, you know, I, and, and, and this Kickstarter that we're running, the, the money we're trying to raise, to be honest, is to help us get these first four issues done before we solicit the book to retailers, my, you know, having done a, a few creator owned books now over the years and all that, you know, I'm aware basically that if you, if you get any momentum in the first place with a new book, the only way you're going to build from that and hold on to it is delivering a book monthly. You know, mm -hmm. uh, as soon as, as soon as you lose that momentum, you're, you're done. It seems to me like, you know, I, I'm not a superstar. I don't have, you know, I don't have that kind of cachet to, or goodwill to, to, uh, to spend, um, if I don't keep the book humming along. So understood the, yeah. my goal with the book is to basically, or I essentially, I, we will not solicit the book at all until we have the first four issues done, just in the can done, ready to go. And then, you know, between that and the, the lead time we'll get once retailers are ordering the book and shipping and all that, we'll, with, you know, as long as we have good discipline, we'll keep that padding of several issues so that we're never running up against the deadline, you know. And uh, will the, will the, Patrons that that support the Kickstarter will they get the first four issues before you like put it out to the full market? I guess it depends how how we end up publishing it. Um, you know, like I said earlier, I I might have taken a different approach if I had um, looked into it more or talked to other people, I suppose, and perhaps we would have just packaged a Kickstarter only. Uh, version of either the first issue or the first four. Um, if we end up with a publisher, that won't be the case. And we'll basically be sending people the book that the publisher puts out um, in addition to the other bonus stuff that we're offering. Um, so um, 
you know, I mean, the, again, the goal is to get the first four issues done as, mm-hmm. as quickly as possible. It's taken us a long time. It's taken us the better part of a year to get the first issue completely done and, you know, the first four scripts and the first 16 of plot and all this other stuff figured out so that we have a really solid foundation for what we're doing and we have the ability to not just deliver 16 issues but, but you know, to just kind of deliver the book as long as, as people are up for <laughs> for buying it. Sure. You know, the there is no end point per se. It's definitely look we're looking at it as an open ended, ongoing thing. Um and with any luck we'll be able to keep keep doing it. Um because I think the way that we've set this up feels like something that could sustain itself indefinitely. You know, we've got certainly a limitless number of pop culture and and fantasy fiction realms that we could draw on. Um, We've got a bunch of central characters who are very interesting in themselves, and then the ways that they're kind of intersecting in their lives uh, is also pretty interesting. And then the larger story we have, um, you know, is kind of a a wide-ranging sort of world-affecting storyline as well. Well, like I said, I think your your pitch sounds right when you say, like, imagine a a character like Louis – from Louis C.K. and uh, kind of dropping him into this like unsatisfactory real world and uh, the delusions that are pulling him into these alternate worlds and stuff. And it gives you a chance to have uh, fun exploring different art styles uh, using familiar pop culture and comic book tropes that I think people will recognize. And uh, it's the start of a very interesting adventure. It's called West Portal. And uh, there are, like I said, it's just over a week left in terms of the Kickstarter. Um, Check out the link and uh, and see what they're offering over there. And uh, but I, I think uh, that uh, Kieran and Todd are uh, onto something here. I think uh, deserving of your attention and uh, checking it out. Check out the video and check out the pages they have there. Um, and yeah, man, I mean, you're like I said, your body of work. You're an excellent artist, and it's uh, good to have you back. And I hope things do work out for West Portal, and that uh, you know we we've uh, we're gonna have uh, good uh, Kieran and Dwyer uh, new work from you. Uh, in the, in the coming months. So I, I hope this all, you know, comes through and uh, look forward to the continuation of the story. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. Nice chat with Kieran Dwyer to uh, wrap things up on today's word balloon. I uh, thank you for listening today. It was brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. Don't forget, great deals are happening at InStock Trades. Uh, if your orders are $50 or more, you receive free shipping, and they make it pretty easy when they have uh, great collections at reduced prices. We're talking about things like Batman, Arkham Origins. Uh, the trade paperback is 42% off, just $8.69. We mentioned Jeff Parker coming to Cincy Comic Con. You can get his Aquaman hardcover volume 6, Maelstrom, at uh, 42% off. Maelstrom, excuse me, bad English but a great book, uh, 42% off, $14.49. From uh, Brian Wood, you can get DMZ, the deluxe edition, hard book uh, cover, book four, 42% off, $17.39, and a whole lot more. Uh, as I said, if your orders are $50 or more, you receive free shipping. Check out all the great deals that are waiting for you at InStockTrades.com. And Word Balloon is brought to you by the Cincy Comic Con, happening September 12th and 13th at the Northern Kentucky Convention Center at One Rest River Center Boulevard. 
And uh, you will not believe some of the great people that are going to be there. We're talking about uh, iZombies co-creator Chris Robertson, Matthew Sturgis, and Bill Willingham will be there uh, doing some Fables conversation. Rick Remender and, of course, Tony Moore, the host of the con. And uh, Mike Hawthorne will likely be talking about the 10th anniversary of Fear Agent. Cameron Stewart from Batgirl, Brendan Fletcher from Black Canary, Ming Doyle, who's doing excellent work uh, for Vertigo on uh, that series that just wrapped up The Kitchen, plus her work on Constantine. Uh, My buddies Adam and Comfort Love are uh, going to be there talking about their books. They just released a book on how to make comics. Ray Fox, the excellent writer and artist, is going to be there. Lots of great Canadian uh, creators are coming to Cincy Comic Con. Jim Mafood, Mike Morisi, Mike Norton, Phil Noto, The Goons Eric Powell, Derek Robertson, Chris Sprouse, Mark Schultz, Cadillacs and Dinosaurs, Ben Templesmith. Lots of great creators are coming to Cincy Comic Con. They deserve your attention. It is really one of my favorite shows. I am proud to be part of it. And uh, moderating panels there, they always give me excellent programming. All you have to do is go back and listen to the Word Balloon Library and check out some of the great past Cincy Comic Con panels that I've been proud to be part of. This is only the third show. And it's a great, small, but uh, fantastic show. And I think because of the strength of uh, Tony and Kara's relationships with the comics community, they are able to bring together all these wonderful creators for an excellent show. Cincy Comic Con, it's happening September 12th and 13th at the Northern Kentucky Convention Center. Two amazing events, one low ticket price. Kids 12 and under are free with paid adult admission. For more details, go to Cincy, C-I-N-C-Y, Comic-Con.com. John Sutcher saying thanks again for listening to Word Balloon. Uh, Looking forward to seeing everybody at San Diego Comic-Con. Quick reminder, uh, Thursday, it's the Spotlight Panel on Art and Franco at 4.30. And then on Saturday at noon at the San Diego Library, the Comic Book Podcasters Panel with our special guest Greg Pak from uh, Action Comics, Planet Hulk, World War Hulk, uh, I'm a, the creator of Amadeus Cho. Uh, it sounds like uh, Amadeus is going to be the new Hulk uh, for the all-new Marvel coming up in the fall. And, of course, uh, great books like uh, his Code Monkey Save World campaign with uh, Jonathan Colton and uh, other great creator-owned stuff that he's got, brand new things, actually, that uh, he's, I know, promoting at the show and uh, in the weeks post uh, San Diego Comic-Con. Expect Greg to be on a full-blown word balloon, but we're happy to have him on the uh, Comic Book Podcaster panel on Saturday at noon at the San Diego Public Library. I hope that people are able to watch that that don't have badges. I'm not really sure how it's going to work, but I certainly hope that it is part of uh, some of the great entertainment that surrounds Comic-Con as well. I know Comic-Con is expanding, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see us uh, off-site at this venue, but I certainly hope that they are going to uh, make it open and available to uh, people that don't have badges but still want to enjoy some good comic book programming like we get at San Diego Comic-Con. So hope to see you uh, Thursday or Saturday. Otherwise, I'll be wandering the aisles, attending panels if you see me. And you listen to Word Balloon, please say hello and give me the opportunity to thank you for listening to Word Balloon. And thank you for supporting me if you're a Patreon uh, supporter. Don't forget to go to wordballoon.com if uh, you want to help subscribe to Word Balloon via Patreon. I thank you for your patronage uh, to the League of Word Balloon listeners. I've got a few more uh, new people that uh, just joined up. Sometimes I give you advanced interviews and some other things. Uh, as a Patreon subscriber, so uh, if you can spare a dollar a month, 
um, or more, that's great. I appreciate the uh, patronage. And uh, thank you for helping me get to these conventions, make these connections, and uh, you know, bring you the good programming that I try to do each week right here on Word Balloon. Looking forward to uh, more great programming from Comic-Con and beyond. we got uh, stuff lined up all throughout the summer. It's, uh, it's going to be great. Uh, some old favorites are coming back. Some new people are coming on as well. Uh, great information and great stories, as I try to do each week right here on Word Balloon. So thanks for listening. Looking forward to seeing everybody and uh, hearing from you and also talking to you on the next Word Balloon. Enjoy your week. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2015.